for their faithfulness. The letter to Titus, just a few verses from that letter. Um, we don't know an awful lot about Titus, we do one or two things. In the book of Galatians, we find that he went to Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas, and they were having a discussion in the church there about circumcision. The question had arisen because um, Jews were becoming Christians, and the question was, should Christians then be circumcised? So we know Titus went there with Paul and Barnabas. We also know uh, in Corinthians that he visited Corinth, and he was sent to Corinth by Paul to help to sort out some of the problems we've been looking at in the book of Corinthians in the last few weeks. And now we find him in a, an island called Crete. Now, I've not been to Crete. Some of you may have been there. It's meant to be a nice island. But Paul and Titus were in Crete. They were preaching the gospel. People were being saved. Um, and we would find that they were in different... I know Crete's obviously got little towns around the island. And in each of these little towns, Christians were... Uh, or believers were there and they'd been saved. Maybe Titus perhaps had been saved through the preaching of Paul, we're not sure. But Paul does describe him as his son, a true son in our common faith. He's, he's, um, he's, I think it's nice that he's got this father-son relationship, but also saying we've got a common faith. We're working together in the work that God has given us to do. And Paul leaves Crete and goes on and leaves Titus behind. And Titus is told to sort out things in the island amongst the believers and various things were to happen. So this letter is written by Paul to Titus to encourage him to give him some direction as to what should be happening in that island. I'm just going to read the first four verses of Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. To Titus my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. Paul uses that phrase early on in this, he calls it God's elect, he's talking about the people of God, he's talking about us, he's talking about Christians. I want to go back just very briefly to the Old Testament and the children of Israel. They were God's chosen nation. God chose Israel out of all the other nations and they were to be his special people, the people of God. And other nations would look to them as an example and they would demonstrate that God was a sovereign God. He was a true God because there are many other false gods around, but he was a true God. They would demonstrate the power of God they would demonstrate the provision of God as he went through the wilderness and his protection. And other nations would look on Israel and see that God was working in that nation. Now, we know that they often got things wrong and the prophets were told and time and time again to warn them that they had to get back to the ways that God wanted them to be. But that was a, um, an example of God choosing a nation at that time. And Paul uses that example of God's elect to talk about us. And he in chapter 2, verse 14, he uses these wonderful words where he says uh, that he is to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. A people that are his very own. Do you know those verses in First Peter, which talks about the church again? It says in First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, 
As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Then in verse 9 it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now, look around. Each one of us is a special possession of God. We are chosen. We are part of God's family. That is so important for us to understand and grasp. We know it. We've read it. But to actually remind ourselves that we are a special people, God's very own people, and he's got something special for us to do. If you ask the question of a Christian, what does God think of individuals? The natural reaction you're going to get is God is really concerned about individuals. He wants them to be saved. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross that individuals might come to salvation and be restored to God. That's why we hear about the, the shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to search for one because one person is so important. We know that God has a, a real value for each one of us. If you ask the same Christian, what does God think about broken society? It might take a longer, bit longer to get an answer. We see society broken around us. And I believe God is saying that we as his people, as his special people, should be an alternative society to what we see around us. He has called us to be a people. He's called us, it says, like a town that's set on a hill, that people might see us. What we have received from God is not something that should be hidden, but something that should be exposed. So people are attracted to God by what they see in us. And Paul is writing to Titus. And he explains, what are the characteristics then of the people of God? What should we be like? And just in the first couple of verses, it says three things. That we are to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life. Faith, knowledge, and hope. When we become a Christian, well, there are different views about how we get to God. Some people think that if you do your best in life, if you try your best, at some point God's going to say, you did very well, you can come and be part of my family, you can go to heaven. Now we don't believe that, but that's, that's justification by works. We believe that the Lord Jesus died on the cross and we have by faith accepted him as our saviour. That is justification by faith. Now we have to have that faith because I'll be honest with you, I don't find it easy to understand what God did on the cross, what the Lord Jesus did on the cross, how it really works. I don't. So I have to have faith to believe that. But we don't put our faith on a shelf when we become a Christian and carry on the way we were. Faith is something we need to apply to every aspect of our lives as Christians. We need to live by faith. And that's tough sometimes because what it means is when we read the Bible, and I guarantee every time we read the Bible each day, there'll be something in there that will be God telling us to do something. And these instructions, they'll be difficult sometimes because they go against what society is doing. If you think of the people in the Bible who live by faith, they're all mentioned in Hebrews 11, but think of it as Gideon, 
who was, remember he had an army of 32,000, and God said, reduce your army eventually to 300 people with no weapons. Now that is foolishness, right? And Gideon had to have total trust in God to be able to do what God asked him to do. He had to have faith. Moses, when he was asked to lead the Israelites. David, when he fought Goliath. Noah, when he was asked to build an ark on dry land. These things did not make any sense. But God spoke to them and said, you need to do that. You need to live by faith. And the challenge for us is, are we living by faith? Because if we're not, we're no different from society. Satiety is living by sight, what they see. And it is difficult. But it's important to realize that the faith we have is not based on how much faith we have. It's the object of our faith. Who is our faith in? It's been a cold night today. If it got really cold and the time froze over, someone might step out the next day and say, I'm going to walk across the time. And after 10 paces, they'd fallen through the ice and they drowned. They drowned by tremendous faith. They had faith in that ice and it didn't pay off. Someone else a bit more timid waits for six weeks of freezing conditions so the ice is so thick and then they timorously step onto that ice. It holds them because their faith in something secure. This passage here tells us that we are believing in God who does not lie. Our faith is in a God who does not lie. Our faith is absolutely secure. And it's not necessarily the amount of faith we have as opposed to the person we're having our faith in. And that is so important because, again, if you think of those people in the Bible, in the Old Testament, many of them were scared. They didn't want to do what God asked them to do. They didn't have huge amounts of faith, but their little faith was in God who does not lie. We see around us people with tremendous faith. We see it in churches. I've experienced people you know, where they pray for healing and the, the prayers get louder and louder. It's like the prophets of Baal. You know, shout because he's not listening to you and nothing happens. And it's so sad because often those people who have been prayed for, they go away disappointed because they feel they haven't got enough faith. And God is saying, it's faith in God who does not lie. That little bit of faith. And in our lives, in our daily lives, our daily practice, it's having that ability to live by faith, different from society, so we stand out as an alternative to the broken society we see around us. So he, he teaches us to live by faith. Then it talks about knowledge of the truth. Well, the truth I find increasingly difficult to understand. We, we talk about fake news, don't we? But the things happening around us, the decisions that are being made, laws that are being passed, I find it increasingly hard to understand what truth is. Many years ago, the government would rely on the Bible. They, they weren't necessarily all Christian, but they had a foundation of the word of God. They had the Ten Commandments. So when they came together to make a decision, they had something to base their decision on. Nowadays, that does not exist, not just in government, but in many walks of life. So when a decision has to be made, you'll find there's a focus group formed, and they will speculate as to what the right decision should be. And the best speculation of men will be put together 
to come up with a, a, a solution. The problem is that, of course, is that speculation is based on nothing other than man's good ideas. Sometime later, someone else comes along and speculates on their speculation and comes up with a different solution. So we can speculate as much as we like, and that's why we're seeing laws that we don't necessarily find comfortable. We speculate about our own identity. Who are we? The big questions in life is, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? People just speculate. The question of creation, how did the world come into being, is no longer talked about because we now speculate on scientific information that says the world's been here for billions of years. It's speculation based on moving facts. And that knowledge of the truth is difficult for us because we live in that society. I need help because I watch the news and I get so annoyed <laughs> at the news. I get so annoyed at people speculating. You, know, you, know, you watch the, the man on TV and he's outside Downing Street and the budget's tomorrow, say, and he'll speculate as to what the budget's going to say. Just wait. Wait till tomorrow we'll hear the budget. We can de decide what we want. And then you hear the budget and they speculate as to how it's going to impact us. They'll talk to someone in Bolton High Street. What do you think? I don't care what he thinks. It's all speculation. Pam will tell you that I just walk away after the headlines. But it's a problem because I want to try and do something about it. Can I tell you the answer? The alternative to speculation is God's revealed truth. God has revealed to us the truth. We know who we are. We know why we're here. We know where we're going. We don't need to speculate about these things. And the challenge for me is that rather than getting upset about these things, I need to be demonstrating the truth of God to them and explaining the truth of God to them so that they can see an alternative society to the one that they're living in. And we're surrounded by this broken society. We are an alternative that people can look at and learn from. So knowledge is of the truth is something that we have, we're privileged to have. God has given it to us and it makes us different. And then it says, in the hope of eternal life. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Again, many people have no hope. They live in this world and therefore they see that all they have is what happens in this life. Now, I can understand that. If you have no hope of eternal life, then everything is going to be centered on what happens now. So all of your energy goes into that. But we have eternal life, and therefore our values are different. We're not living for this world. Is it, is it Jim Reeves, I think, the song, This World Is Not My Own, I'm Just a Passing Through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the... I think it's Jim Reeves. My sister loved him. We've got all his records. But, you know, that's what we are. We're passing through. And therefore, our values are different. We're laying up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Our, our neighbours are moving. They're selling the house. And they're moving out to Seton Sluice. And this has been on the go for about two months now. So they've packed their bags. The house is in boxes. All the stuff's in boxes. They're not doing any decoration in the house they're in now. 
They don't do anything to the garden because they're waiting. They know they're going to move soon to a different place. So they're not putting their energy into this place, but they're thinking about the next home. And that's like us, isn't it? How much of our energy goes into this world when we've got a, another home that is being prepared for us? And we have that security. We have that certainty because it's from God who does not lie that we have a home that's being prepared for us. And those three features, characteristics that we have of faith, or the knowledge of truth, and of hope, they make us stand out from society. They make us an alternative society to what is happening around about us. And that is something that we should treasure, because we've been, we're a part of that. Each one of us here is a part of that people of God, that alternative society that people can look to and be attracted to God. Paul recognises that Titus in a situation, he's going to need some help. right? He's going to need help in the work that he's been given to do. And it tells us in verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed. So Titus is a very specific job. He's got to try and teach the people, all those people in these different towns in Crete, all those different places where an alternate society is located. He's got to train them, he's got to teach them, he's got to encourage them. And we in Bencham are no different. We are located here and people around us will look at us. And we need training, we need encouragement in what we're trying to do. Now, I do get encouraged because when we read into chapter 2, it talks about all the different people in, that, in those churches. The older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, those who are working, they're all included. We looked recently at the body of Christ, didn't we? The, the local church, what it should look like. And it's wonderful to see that everybody in this local assembly and the different places throughout Crete, they all had a part to play. They all had a responsibility. But there was a special place for elders. Elders were called because they were going to have to go into those different towns and pass on the message that Paul's passing on to Titus to train those people. The phrase elder uses also the phrase overseer. Elder tends to speak of a, a wise, mature person, often with a grey beard. Now we have a problem here, Deducey. Jim's definitely a grey beard. Andrew's a beard that he might be using Grecian 2000, or we're not sure. But you don't have a beard. So there's an issue that needs to be dealt with. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. So these elders were mature, wise, but also the overseeing, they were overseeing the flock, if you like. They were shepherds of the flock. And they had a responsibility to feed the flock, to lead them and protect them. And we're feeding them, it tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, however, you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Now, that word sound can be translated healthy, healthy doctrine. And that's a, a good word because it gives us a picture of something which is nutritional, something which will build up the body. And when we think of, of the church as the body of Christ, then that teaching is something which will build up that body. 
that will be healthier as a result of that teaching. <coughs> and Titus is saying to his elders, he's got to instruct his elders, this is what you need to do. Now, I think we're very privileged here to have elders who teach us well. And we give that God thanks for that. And that that teaching will continue. But that teaching, sometimes it's to the whole group, but often that teaching can be very specific to certain people within the, the, the church. People are at different stages. We can recognize it in our own group, can't we? There are some who perhaps need... Um, different food from others and that needs to be taught in a different way but it's all essential to building up the body of Christ those elders are also responsible for leading the people they're leading the people into the future making decisions about what should happen over the next few weeks months whatever it might be they need wisdom in doing that and thirdly, they need to protect God's people. Now, there were things happening in Crete uh, because of the Jews mainly, but other things were happening in Crete which needed to be sorted out. And the elders were asked to be put in place to sort these things out. We are greatly privileged to have people coming in on a Sunday afternoon into this place. I think it's great. I think it's great that the doors are open and people from all walks of life come in. That's not common in all churches. Some churches, it's just a small group and we don't, they don't see anybody coming in. But we see many people coming in. Now that will bring its challenges because our prayer is that those people will be saved. Those people become saved, they bring with them baggage. They bring with them slightly different teaching from what we've perhaps had in the past. They need to be encouraged. The people need to be protected from any false teaching. But those people who come in need to be taught and encouraged that they might see what is truth. I was delighted when Duducey on Sunday, he talked about the sinner who repents and that we need to then forgive and love that person. And that's no different from these people who come in with their baggage. I don't think many people come in deliberately to teach falsely. I think it's just things that they've gathered over the years. But they will bring it in, be absolutely sure of that. But we need to love them and care for them and teach them. And that's the, the protection that needs to be provided. I believe we need to pray for our elders, Jim, Deducey, Andrew. You know, particularly Andrew, uh, sorry, particularly Deducey's beard. I mean, really, the, I don't know whether it's just you don't have much hair or whether it takes a long time to grow, but that's something we need to work on. But seriously, we do need to encourage and pray for our elders. They have a tremendous responsibility that God has given to them that they have to fulfill and they need our support. And often they can be attacked and we need to pray for their protection. But give thanks for what we have. God has brought us into his family. We are his people. We are his, a people that are his very own, it says. That's a wonderful privilege that we have. A wonderful situation we've brought into. We mustn't hide that. Let's just, in, in Matthew, it talks about, on the Sermon on the Mount, it talks about, 
You are the salt of the earth. Then it says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we're here for. Yes, we want individual souls to be saved, but as a group of God's people, we have a responsibility to shine for him, to be an alternative society to the one that is around us. Help me not to criticize those around. Help me to be strong in my speaking out for what is true, that others may see. I believe people out there are desperate for the truth. We must present that truth in a kind and loving way, not in a dogmatic, arrogant way. But we must present it lovingly. And if they see in us the faith that we have, that we live by faith, that we have the truth that God has given to us, and we have that hope of eternal life, that will attract them to want to know more about God. It tells us that the good deeds that we do are attractive to people. If you read through, I might not be asked to speak again, so I can't finish this Titus off. It's up to you to now go home and read the rest of this letter. But when you read it, you'll find seven or eight times it talks about doing good. The, the, the elders have to, have to do good. The people of God have to do good. Constantly through this letter, Paul is saying, do good. And that's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for each one of us, I hope, that we are... God's people, his very own people that he has chosen and he has a role for us to play that we might be part of the witness in this area that the light might shine from Benjamin Gospel Hall to those around and people are brought in to see more and to learn more. I pray this for his name's sake. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who does not lie. And we thank you for that security and the fact that we can have total confidence and trust in you.